The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, this is the Arsenal podcast handbrake off for The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone and I'm joined by the Athletic writers Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas and by the Arsenal legend and the man who after his last appearance on the pod, can only be described as the doyen of defensive analysis, Lee Dixon. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, we're better now, aren't we? Uh, now, as you can imagine, Lee, uh, after 45 minutes last night, uh, frankly, I was a little scared about how depressing this chat was going to be because uh, at that point, this was going to be a very different podcast, but a weird magical thing happened in the second half and <laughs> Arsenal fans could smile again, at least until 4.30 on a Sunday. So, Lee, what happened? Well, there's a great quote, and I don't I don't know if I can say it in full because there's a couple of swear words in there, but there was a great quote from, um, from Ron Saunders, bless his cotton socks, in a press conference about winning a game and basically saying, we were rubbish, but they were a little bit more rubbish than us. So that was, you can insert whatever word you want into that, that phrase. Yeah. Um, but yeah, first half was, you know, it was same old, same old. What I did like though, and I'll say this from the start, was I liked what Freddie did with the team in as much as brave decisions. When you're in the eye of the storm, I'm pretty sure, and I, you know, I'm speculating because I've not been a manager apart from youth team football, but slightly different where Freddie is right now with the, the eyes of the world on him, but he he made a couple of big decisions last night, and um, and I hail him for that because it'd be quite easy to sit back in in the dugout and say, Do you know what, I need I need experience, I need to just try and grind out something with what I've got, and he didn't, and he went, Do you know what, I'm, make, I'm making a couple of big calls, especially the Luis one and, and and leaving him out, and I think that was that's what I would have done sitting in my armchair, but he's sitting on a, on a bench watching it all and he's made a big call there. So um, credit to him for that. Fair play, Freddie. Now, Amy and James are sitting here as well. Uh, smiles on your faces, which is nice to see. We haven't had that, have we? Let's be fair. We haven't. <laughs> no. no, let's be fair. I was watching. I saw Pepe get when he ended, came off after 85 minutes and him laughing with the manager. It felt good. I mean, Amy, you wrote a piece. For the Athletic, uh, late last night, early this morning, a bit crisper, a bit faster. That is belief. Was that what it was about? Well, it was funny because when Freddie came in afterwards, and one of the first things that he said, and and what's been quite refreshing actually, although um, Unai Emery was uh, regarded as someone who was very tactical, when he talked about it, it didn't translate. Freddie is being very clear in what he's saying about everything to do with the team. He's very honest. He's honest about their confidence. He's honest about the big decisions, about the tactics. He's not hiding from things. And straight away, he was referencing how that confidence was linked to the sort of slowness of the game and that that sort of ponderous Arsenal that is so painful to watch when everybody dwells too long on the ball, you can't see a pass, and, and the, the game is not slick. The, the Arsenal team that Freddie played in, one of the things that I had the pleasure of talking to him about years ago when he was trying to describe the Invincible team, he, he was really keen on the fact that what made them different was the speed of which they did everything. Mm. And that speed wasn't necessarily just because Thierry Omri was super fast or because Dennis Bergkamp's brain works quicker than anybody else and he sees things before it happens. But it was to do with that entire team and that group and the way they tried to do things, thinking the way we're going to outfox your position is we're just doing everything so quickly they can't react they don't even know what's coming and I have got a quote 
from him that he said in describing this I thought was really telling. He said, when people ask me how we played, step overs take a lot of technique, for example, but the speed of pass, how it got smashed around, that's the hard thing. Top teams do it, one touch. Before you get the ball, you need to think, where's the ball going after this? Because the ball is coming at real speed. We could still control it. It's not that we ran faster than everybody else, but the ball moved faster. Everybody thought how to get it faster to catch opponents out. And I think in that little nine-minute spell where the goals came, for the first time in ages, Arsenal played quickly. Well, yeah. that, that's the point, isn't it, James? The speed of it. I mean, I, mean, I was watching on, I was looking on Twitter the other day and somebody posted the game against Bayer Leverkusen. We mm. talked about this goal where Perez played at the Burkamp, played at the Vieira, back to Burkamp, at the speed I'm saying it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Burkamp played at Wiltord, Wiltord cross, Henri goal. It was the very essence of what Arsene Wenger's teams did. And you saw, we saw that for nine minutes last night. We did. We saw it for nine. It'd be lovely to see it for 90, but nine's a start. <laughs> and, you know, th- that Invincibles team, Dennis Bergkamp, he used to demand almost the ball was fizzed into him because he had the capacity to control it. And I think that's a massive thing that changed between the first half and the second half. In the first half, it wasn't just the pace of the passing. It was the, the lack of progression. So much of the time, it was the back four, keeping possession, knocking the ball between themselves, maybe into Xhaka, maybe into Torreira. But suddenly in the second half, our game was a lot more vertical it had this thrust to it you know Ozil was more involved we were getting Pepe on the ball and it was just like a different team and such a relief you know a sight for sore eyes after what we'd put up with in the last few weeks yeah and I was just gonna um be the odd one out by listening to you three fans and (laughs) eulogizing about our fast flowing football for those nine minutes and uh, and the, the the voice of reason has to step in here and say, <laughs> here yeah, I, I enjoyed those nine minutes, although they went very quickly because I did put the kettle on and <laughs> that, that wasted about four or five. When I come back, um, you know, the score had changed. So um, I missed some of that. But what I did see was in that nine minutes was exactly what you're talking about. But let's take some good stuff out of that. and, and But then we're going to park that immediately because... Um, what happened in the first half was that you you were playing against a team that was a little bit energised and had you know obviously got the goal West Ham at home all of that and we and we were terrible so let's get that straight first mm. the team shape had changed the personnel had changed but there's still certain things and the progress that Freddie needs to take from that is try and work out why we were particularly better in the second half, especially in those nine minutes, you say. And he, if he's honest with himself, he'll also say that part of that was that West Ham were terrible. Oh, oh, um, yes. and because there was still a lot of, there's still a huge amount of, and I don't want to be, you know, pour water on all this. Well, this. you're doing that, Lee. That's exactly what you're doing. Well, that's my job. That's my job. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> and my, and my vision of, of watching a football match majority of the time I'm watching it when we haven't got the ball and we're still ridiculous even in those nine minutes ridiculously terrible without the ball and what worries me is now and and Freddie will hopefully address this because we've got a couple of you know biggish games coming up when Pepe who was great on the ball and he's showed a little bit of what he's capable of when he hasn't got the ball come and sit in the stand with me thanks very much because that's that's what you do give to the team Ozil come and sit next to me Martinelli will run about a bit needs guidance without the ball so he needs somebody around him and obviously uh, Aubameyang doesn't do an awful lot he's closing down he's closing down when we haven't got the ball from the top he's 
on his own. So he's, he basically can sit with me as well. So we're now down to six players against the rest of the team. So that's got to be addressed. And two of those players, Torreira and, and Xhaka, um, you know, they, they can be whatever they want to be when they, we haven't got the ball and we don't know what's, what, what they're going to do. So from that point of view, there's lots of positives in that nine minutes, but there's, there's a, the, the scoreline was massively flattering for us. And so he, he needs, and I'm sure Freddie will, because he seems as, as you said, Amy, that he's, you know, he's, he's an intelligent boy. You don't, you're not a footballer of, of that brilliance without having a brain. He understands, he understands the game because he had to understand the game to, to get his goals because his runs, his timing of his runs, the way, the way Freddie played proves to me that he is, he knows um, football intelligence. So I'm, I'm relying on that bit of his brain to, with his coaches, with Mertesacker, who's won the World Cup as a defender, to work out how we get better pretty instantly without the ball. And that's the most impressing point. And I saw a tiny little bit last night, but not enough to relax me before this huge game at the weekend. Yeah. Sorry, doom and gloom Dixon again. We are going down after all. <laughs> Go on, Amy, what do you want to say? Just, Lee, following on from that, I mean, you, you talked about this a lot in the, you know, brilliantly the other day about that kind of triangle of your two centre-halves with a defensive midfield that. player standing in front of them. I keep, every time I watch Arsenal, I've got this kind of imaginary triangle where mm. that should be happening and it never is at the moment. And yeah. and I noticed it even yesterday. Torreira and Xhaka just, just didn't stay in that position. I mean, it was important that Torreira moved forward because he he helped set up the first goal with a with a forward good run, pass. which was great. Yeah, a good yeah. pass. Yeah. But you know, for a lot of the first half, I kept looking down. And it was like, where are where are them? Where's Shaka? And I mean, there was just <laughs> never anybody in that peak of the triangle spot. Um, and there was this kind of big stretch where the two centre halves were miles apart from each other, and the two fullbacks were quite high. And again, that I just thinking looking forward how does how does Freddie begin with the personnel we've got to to solve that because even if you're telling them look you've just got to stay closer together that message just hasn't got through yet at all that boils down to you know I, you hear me talk about all the time about the different qualities of, of, of good players and what makes a player and, and there's loads of ingredients go in and um and into different players and what makes them you know good the pace the their control Dennis's brain all the things you talked about Thierry Henry's pace and intelligence and there is and, and there's a common theme with all of it the the ingredients go in to make the soup but there's always one that goes in and that's most of the time in a in a concoction that makes a good player is is football intelligence so if you're telling a player something and, it, and Tony Adams sums it up when he talked about his time at Wickham and this is no disrespect to players at Wickham when he tried to when he tried to to educate them and teach them his his learnings from what he taught been taught by George Graham they he'd tell them once and then he'd tell them twice and then he realized and I went down to watch a training session with him and he put a small session on and it was a very simple session about trying to get the centre forward to stay on sides and then he kept running offside fast as anything and he kept saying, you don't have to run offside, just make you run later so you stay onside. And he he just couldn't grasp it. And it's not, you know, he might be a mathematician on, it's, it's a different type of intelligence. It's about understanding 
football and the and where you need to be and when you need to run and when you need to stand still and when you need to stand in front of the two centre-halves and not move. And if you don't work that out and the manager keeps telling you, then you're not good enough to play in that position. Whether you So move, go, go and play somewhere else, another team, or go and play somewhere else on the pitch. If you're a holding midfield player, and there's no there's no coincidence that the best teams in the in the Premier League, the best teams around the world, Fabinho for Liverpool, um, Kante, Kante uh, Busquets for Barcelona, um, Fernandinho, Fernandinho, Fernandinho yeah. they've all got one of those guys, and they've got and all those players we've just mentioned. If you did a heat map on where they play most of their game, it's tied to the two centre halves in front of them in that magical triangle that becomes the safety zone, not only for the two centre backs, but also for the two full backs because they they realise that they can just wander out of position now and again because he's going to be there if one of us is not there to just drop in and help out. If they're not and your full backs are up, then it becomes 2v2 or 2v2v1 two two v and, and our centre backs at the moment are not good enough to defend. So I could leave Tony and, and Martin on their own. Me and Nigel could bugger off up the pitch for five minutes and they'd probably be out of cope, but they still had Patrick Vieira standing in front of them or they still had Manu Petit there. So they, 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 you've got to have – that. that is the most important part on the pitch for me. They, got, they talk about the hardest thing to do is score – the easiest thing to do is stop stop people breaking on you and and, and utilising that middle of the pitch and it's just to keep someone there. You know, give orders. You do not move from there. James, we stood pitch side on Thursday and you actually did predict a 3-1 win, so you were right, but four days early, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I'll take that. <clears throat> but... So what changed then? I mean, did anything change last night? Lee is saying, well, for nine minutes, we were pretty good going forward. But essentially, it was the same performance, just with a good bit in the middle. I've did got you, to say... Are you encouraged or...? I mean, I think one thing that really helped us that's not been massively talked about is that the West Ham left-back, Cresswell, went off. Masuaku yeah. came on. Should have been sent off by the Should day. have been sent off probably for two bookable offences. But he was replaced by Masuaku, who commits a criminal offence against Pepe on both occasions. He, he shows him inside when... Everyone knows Pepe's going to want to come in on his left foot. It's actually quite bad. Not taking it away from Pepe, especially the finish is great, but the defending from Masuaku is really poor and we capitalised there. So I think yeah. as much as we did improve and there was a lot more purpose and pace in the way we were passing the ball in the second half, and I think Freddie's got to take some credit for that because he inspired a bit of a comeback mm. from the boys, I think West Ham also contributed to their own collapse. There was an energy... There was a kind of a well-being feeling. Not in the first flooded half. back. No, but once the, the those goals had come, and mm. once Arsenal had engineered a comeback from a typically crappy situation where they've lost both fullbacks and they're not playing very well, and they've conceded a stupid goal, you know, through through some bad play and some bad luck, and everything's going against them, and somehow yeah. they hauled themselves back, and you could see something pulsing back mm. through the players. Yeah. Through the through the, the 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 connection with the fans, there was a sense of ah, oh, thank God! It was a combination of relief and high energy and optimism coming back to life almost. And you know how much can that help a team? I know they've got you know difficult games coming forward, but just feeling good again. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you saw that with the celebrations right up against the camera. They were all you know 
whooping and hollering and high-fiving. And it, and it was lovely to see because, we, as you said, we haven't seen that. There's a huge amount, I think Freddie's talked about, the amount of pressure that's on the players. And, you know, there's, there's pressure at playing for just pulling the shirt on with that cannon on your chest should be pressure enough. You know, we've talked about the weight of that shirt and it is a heavy shirt and that, and it should be, and you should be able to go in the gym and make sure you can wear that shirt on your back when it doesn't feel too heavy. And that all comes from performance and the lack of confidence that Freddie's talking about. It, it's, it's a tangible thing that you only really feel it and see it and smell it when you're involved in the team, i.e. in the training pitch, going to the, the games on the coach. You know, that you feel, you feel the essence of the players, what, what's going on. You can kind of, you, you can almost touch it. Oh, and Lee, that, Lee, we could see it, all three of us, must, we yeah. all talked about, we could see it the, in that first half, the lack of confidence, the sideways passes, the, yeah. the passivity, the risk aversion mm. of that yeah. team. I mean, James, you were going to talk about this. What encouraged me was to see a bit of camaraderie as well among the team because yeah. there hasn't been much of that. You know, if you think about uh, in the last couple of games, we've seen players arguing with each other, you know, shouting at each other as they go off down the tunnel. Those celebrations after those goals, there was a sort of, you know, they're, they're bonding moments. And Rafa Benitez spoke about this after the game, how one game can can do a lot for you. Yeah. It can change things around very, very fast in football. And looking at the way those players were at full time, look at the way they were with Freddie and with each other. I know it was just nine minutes, but at least with this confidence, they've got something to build on to try and do more than that. Can I add to that as well, by the way, about the, the fans? I mean, we heard we heard the fans singing. I mean, you, you know, Amy, uh, you were there uh, last night and we could hear, we could hear the sort of, the, the enjoyment of it, they kept making a noise and that makes a difference. And it goes back to the point, I wanted to talk about this after the Brighton game. Lewis Dunk made some comments about the fans and about how he knew that and Brighton knew that if they if they got in front and made it difficult for Arsenal, the fans would turn on them. Now, it's different away from home. They're more supportive. But how much of a difference did that make last night? Huge. And I mean, you talk about, you know, we talk about the confidence of the players. Actually, fans have confidence issues. And mm. as a fan, you know, you lose confidence in your team or you, you need something to regain it again. Especially if we listen to Lee every week. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, literally as soon as Martinelli equalised yeah. and what was interesting was the humour came back. You know, there's, all of a sudden, you know, we're staying up. The fans are all kind of dancing about. And How bad must you be when we're winning away when we went 2-1 up? There's a bit of that. Yeah, uh, but it was also there was also e even something physical. I noticed that when the fans were kind of filtering away at the at the end of the game, there was like a buoyancy. It was like jelly, like it was oh, bobbling fun. around. You know, people aren't sort of slumped and sort of kind of dragging their feet and down in the dumps. There was a, It was like everybody felt physically and spiritually, you know, bouncy. Yeah. because of, of seeing a win because it's been a long time so I think this that is why, this is why I this is why Amy that I've got the best of, of both worlds <laughs> in as much as um I am a fan obviously and and but most of the time I'm working so like watching the game last night and talking to you now this is all as as much as it's fun it, it's it's what I do so I'm always, I've always got my work head on when I'm watching Arsenal. Yeah. I very rarely go to a game and I just, I just go to a game and I'm not working. So, and when I do, I, I, I flip into you three of that. <laughs> I, I would be going, I'd be going about those nine minutes. If I, if I had gone to the game and I wasn't having to talk about it over the next few days and da, 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 I'd have gone to that game and I'd been like, you, did you see us then? Did you see Pepe do this? Did yeah. you do this? And I'd have all that 
almost, I don't want to call it false hope, but I would have had that sort of feeling that you've got now. But I'm, 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 I'm lucky now that I can, I can look at it from my, uh, you might be saying, oh, miserable leave from his, from his living room, just <laughs> slagging them off saying, yeah, don't get too carried away. But I, I have got that ability to be able to go, Right, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. It was fun. It did it, but it, that, that nine minutes or the, the the even the result means nothing to me right now. I don't get. I I get the Freddie bump and the and yeah. the happy that all that bit. That James has just been talking about. I I'm in with you on that. Yeah, but soon as I've soon as I've heard you say it, it goes out of my consciousness, and I just go. Yeah, that's you know that confidence ain't going to help our central midfield because they still don't know to stay there. I'm immediately turning to the the, the massive job that he's got. Yeah. yeah, nice bit of a bump, but a huge bit of work to be done. What was the name of that Scottish sergeant in Dad's army? We're all <laughs> doomed. Private, was it Laurie? Was it Private Laurie? <laughs> Here's the thing then, Lee, and I'm asking all of us, all, all, this is a question for all of us, are we not as good as we think we are? The reason I'm saying that, I look at Xhaka and the way he receives the ball and he thinks he can turn in those tight areas and he gets dispossessed. But I think it goes for the whole team. When when we play to our strengths a little bit more, we get more of a chance of getting a result. But when we turn up and think, oh, yeah, we can take these on, mm-hmm. that's when we get beaten. I just go back, and I said this to you the other day, after the Man City game a few years ago, when we went away and played with a holding midfield player, 1-2-0, and everyone went... We've been waiting for you to do that for five years. Yeah. So uh, is it a case that we just think we're a little bit better than we are? I think in some respects we have ideas above our station. I mean, when I watch us trying to play out from the back, it sometimes looks like us (laughs) doing an impression of, you know, a a better team, really. And it does feel a bit like that sort of a stylistic decision that's been made without necessarily having the players or even the strategy to do it. So I think, you know, we can be more pragmatic in certain situations and uh, that would definitely help us. And I think Man City, we've got no choice but to be more pragmatic. That's the only way we can cope against them. Would any of the top four or even top six at this point take any of our players right now, Lee? In their first 11? Yes. No. Not one. Not, Not one. one. I reckon there's still one or two would get in that team, I have to say. Oh, nice. I think Aubameyang's getting in that Chelsea team. I think Bernd Leno might have a chance of getting in that Chelsea team. Uh, who else have we got? That's about it. That might it? be it. But, I mean, <laughs> look, it's two. I've got to mount the, the case for the defence here. My standards are first or second. Third or fourth doesn't interest me at all. It's a trophy, isn't it? Fourth. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, we don't really have the personnel to play the sort of expansive football we'd like to play consistently through the game, Amy, right? I'm not sure we've got the type of personnel to play a more pragmatic game, and that's the problem. Mm. You know, we're a bit stuck. That's a good point. I'd love to think that Arsenal could set out and do one or the other. I mean, you look at some of the teams that Arsenal struggled against lately, and Lee brought up Brighton and said they were better than West Ham. You know, Brighton, you know, were a really good team doing what doing their jobs well um, and you sort of look at them and look at Arsenal and think well why can't Arsenal be as organised as that and they, they maybe should be a bit better but there's something sort of functionally that's a bit deeper it seems that's not correct. No Amy you've, you've hit on a really good point there say you look at the top four and you go we know what Liverpool are we know how they play we know what the strengths are they we know what City are. We know everyone's got an identity. Chelsea, we know what Frank's trying to do there. With us, 
I have no clue, and I and I've been in the game a long. I have no clue what our DNA is, what our what we're trying to do, what we're good at, what we're. I know what we're not very good at, mm. but I, I haven't, that's that's the biggest thing. The new manager, whoever he is, comes in is go. What are, we've always known what we've what we've been. You know, when we under George, we know we knew what we were. He created an identity that we were uh, hard to beat, pressed hard, won one nil. That's the Arsenal, and we and we kind of we played like that for a number of years, and we're very successful. We then got flipped into a into a, a transition period with with uh, Bruce Rioch, and then were taken over by this genius guy who came in and created another DNA based on the old style with a new flamboyant, brilliant attacking, lovely to watch game that was successful as well. And then we've come out of that, and I have no clue what we are. I I don't know. Somebody please tell me the, what we are. What what do we do? And who who sets that agenda, Lee? You know, you've got this squad of players. Are they suited to to the type of game you want to play? That's the responsibility of the incoming manager, isn't it? To to find yeah. a style that works Absolutely. for what we've got. Absolutely. You 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 have a group of players, and a manager will come in, and he will go. What he, he will look at the timeline, and he go. What is what is the remit? Have I? It's, it's say for Sam Allardyce comes into any club. <laughs> We know we know what Sam's going to do. Yeah, he'll come into a club to probably keep him up, to save him. So he will say, he will look at the players and he will go, "Can these players play? I need you to play in this certain way." And so he'll he'll manipulate them to play in a certain way to get his results. Every manager does that with their own style. Klopp comes in and you get you get the Gengen press, you get high high pressing football with energy and then you get exciting break football with the three up front. So you know what he does. So, and the new manager coming into this lot of players now will go, right. Okay. So we're no good at playing out from the back. We've got exciting, you know, exciting footballers who can create goal or can score goals. We're not very good at pressing one or two. We are, but not the whole. So he's got, he's got to decide well, and, and Amy's right when she says, you know, we're not very good. We can't even play a pragmatic game because we haven't got the players to do that. So we're really caught between the pillar and the post right now of what are we and how do we play our or play football into a style that suits the players in the short term to get us out of the trouble that we're in. And well, then the new manager's got to look and go, right, how do I want to play and what players can I buy yes. in order to implement that? Well, that, that's a, a, a exactly where I was going to go next, which is it's the responsibility of the coach, obviously, but surely it's also the responsibility of the technical directors and the people responsible for bringing in players. Because yeah. part of the reason you don't know what Arsenal is or what they can be is that there's been this slightly haphazard squad building process where either some players have been, been bought who maybe uh, are not quite what, Arsenal hope they would be, but you're stuck with them. Um, mentioning no names, and and, and you know there's a few square pegs and round holes, and and there's a few things that are missing, and so therefore I think the responsibility also lies with Edu, with Raúl, and so on, and hopefully with with the Cronkies backing that to try and help a new coach to get the right players in to be able to implement a more kind of cohesive strategy. Well, I mean, if we're discussing the type of manager or coach that we need, I mean, here's what David Ornstein said on the Ornstein uh, and Chapman show yesterday. I've been told by a couple of people that Mikel Arteta is is the number one target of Arsenal now and that's been reported elsewhere too. Some feel it's as close as being his decision and some 
say no he still has to come through a, a thorough interview process so we've got to be careful uh, with exactly what we say and then Patrick Vieira is is in the frame too um, and people might point to his underwhelming record you could say at Nice but he has the Arsenal connection he has managed um, more than Arteta and, and Freddie Lundberg for example and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came from a much lower mm-hmm. level for example from Mulder to manage Manchester United Um Yes, the likes of Carlo Ancelotti tick other boxes in terms of the the vast European success and experience, but I don't know. I, I, I suspect and could be completely wrong here that Arsenal are focusing towards the younger end and also the connection with Arsenal because that is a key thing that appears to be have been lost uh, even towards the end of the Wenger reign and all the acrimony there, and certainly during Unai Emery's tenure. How much difference, Lee? Here's something I wanted to ask you: How much difference can a coach make? I mean, I guess. What I'm asking is, if Jurgen Klopp was the manager of this team, yeah, would they be in the top four? They'd be doing better than they had been doing because he would he would insist on certain performances and and positional stuff that the previous manager hasn't done. He would look at them and go, "We're not going to play play out from the back because we're not very good at it." He he would be pragmatic enough to sort a style out that would be better suited to the play. If he, if he couldn't sign any players, then that would be the case. He, I, I said to you before, if you if you took this lot and stuck them with George Graham at 75 years of age for a month, they would be <laughs> 50% better than they are now. Yeah. Because George would just say, right, don't, don't do that. Why, you, why have you run over there and hit him on the back of the leg with a stick and move him back into position and say, don't move again? And so at some point, I'm not saying that's right, going around hitting players with sticks, but there is a certain, <laughs> there's a certain style and, and discipline that needs to be installed in a, a group of players and this this group of players and them is is they're lost they don't know, they've got no direction they don't know where to go they don't know what to do and they're playing off the cuff now in my mind because they're not top players as in top class intelligent players like a a Vieira or Petit, and I'm using those two as an example because that's kind of like the position we, we, we need most in my book, um, is that protection and that knowledge of how to do that. I mean, when Patrick came, you know, he wasn't a world beater. He was a young boy with a, yeah. load, a load of ability, a load of drive, a load of hunger. And, and, and Arsene Wenger said, right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to play here. And he went, okay. And he played there where he told him. <sighs> And he went and Manu Petit and he went and you can you you're the foil for him yeah. and when he goes forward you you stay back and when he goes forward you stay back there was none of this holding midfield it was like just make sure you don't leave a gap so we get hit on the break it was pretty simple right? I mean if you can't understand that then you shouldn't be playing in the team talking of young and hungry with loads of ability um, Martinelli last night it was one of the yeah. bright spots well he, he had this courage right from the start yes. and that's been quite lacking in uh, in Arsenal's game and in individuals and it just when he plays he has that fearlessness which is partly youth but I think partly his own character and personality um, and those who know him a bit better I mean y- you know when people come up and say oh you know people with a bit of inside everyone with a bit of inside is like He's going to be a player. You know, there's that sort of vibe going around about him. Yeah. And I wonder whether uh, Lee, in some ways, a totally different player, obviously, but 18 years old, coming kind of from nowhere. Is there something about his almost arrogance, his his sureness in front of goal that reminds you a bit of Anelka? Yeah, I was just I was just thinking of that. Oh, 
Wouldn't Absolutely. that be beautiful, wouldn't it? If we got another got, Anelka. Yeah, let's pile a load of pressure on him and see if he can cope with it. You know? <laughs> he's not got any brothers, no, is he? He's, it's, it's, it's lovely to see. And, and that playing without fear and that ability to be able to express yourself without worrying whether you're doing anything right or wrong is yeah. is sign of a beautiful thing. And we all want to see that. And, and and to do that in a team that is, you know, rocking and, and not, firing on all cylinders to, to put it mildly is, is a great thing to see. And, and, it, and it is infectious. It can be infectious. People, oh, wow, he's doing it. He's a kid. Why have I, why am I scared? Why am I passing it backwards? You know, be be brave. And, and being brave is being, you know, taking the ball in difficult situations and all all having that responsibility. So it, it can can flood through a team, that. And also, Lee, I mean, you know, we've talked about this, but Arsenal, one of those teams, who they can be easy on the eye on the ball, but they're not a good off-the-ball team. And for all his talent, Martinelli, I think mm. he works really hard off the ball. He, he's constantly sprinting, constantly closing down. He was a guy who was playing at 17 in Brazil in senior football, getting kicked by blokes twice his age. And I think yeah. he's, he brings a bit of that toughness and willingness to work that maybe is a bit absent in this team. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think you're right, absolutely. But that needs to be absolutely harnessed into the right areas yeah. when we got the ball. And and I look and you look behind, and I go, I'm oh, sorry, I'm doom and gloom again. Look <laughs> Here behind, we go. <laughs> look behind, and you go, Tierney's left back or or Kalasinac. Tierney's a kid who's learning his trade, doesn't necessarily know where to be himself, let alone trying to, you know, manage a, a teenager ahead of him. And I've got Kalasinac as whatever he is. Um, with all these attributes, um, you know, educating a youngster in front of him, I, I wouldn't th- thought is the is top of his list. So. No, that is truly. But there was a moment at the end of the game when Kalasinac walked towards Martinelli and you could see the look on his face going, oh, my God, you were working hard in front of me. It was a lovely... Yeah. And really, he was pleased with him and you could see that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, before we go, uh, we've got to choose a song uh, which uh, which perhaps sums up um, what uh, uh, what the Arsenal performance was last night, uh, Amy? Do you have uh, a suggestion for us? Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with David Bowie, "Speed of Life," because of the, the ping, 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 the, the, the play that we had, James. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm happy to go with that. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that's sort of... Is there, is there a song about false dawns to go with Lee's narrative? <laughs> Very uh, lightly. There must be something about, you know, broken promises or being misled, but it, it doesn't come to me now, so we'll go with Speed of Life, yeah. Lee, you having a song? Fat out of hell, meatloaf. <laughs> well, yes, I'll have I Am the Resurrection, Stone Roses, okay. right? Because we're back from the dead, uh, as it were. Uh, that's it for episode three of Handbrake Off. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, thank you to our studio guests, Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas. Thanks to Lee Dixon down the line. Thank you, guys. Thank you. See you later. Also, our producer, Tyo, we'd like to hear from you uh, as well. Drop us a line at handbreakoffpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and questions. You can also find us on Twitter at Ian D. Stone. That's me. 
at Amy Lawrence 71. That is, would you believe, is Amy, uh, and at Gunner Blog. And that is James. To hear this show and many more, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read great articles and get access to all 11 of our brand new podcasts, including the David Ornstein and Mark Chapman show. And just by listening to this, you can subscribe now with a 40% discount by going to theathletic.com and using the code ArsenalPod. 